Blog Talk Radio. And 
it's been nice for me. I actually last year was the first year I, I actually taught paid writing workshops, and because it was Zoom, I had people attending my workshops from England, from Australia, from New Zealand, and that would never have. I mean, that's such an expensive trip for people, but because it was just done on Zoom with the convention and all those conventions were online if they held it, um, it just made it so so nice to have this international group working together in your workshop. So so that part I really liked, and that was a fun experience and kind of spawned a whole bunch of new writing workshops that I teach was my super secret. So so that part was cool, and that, so for that I'm grateful, although I still want to get together. It's, it's hard talking to little squares with smiley faces. It, it is hard, mm-hmm. uh, and I still would like to see people face-to-face and get to visit with them after yeah, it's but uh, but I am thankful that we have that it is a good thing it's funny because every time I see that I always think of the Brady Bunch <laughs> yeah I, yeah um, I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes goof off with the class and go you know I feel like the old romper room days do you remember that when yeah. you go I see Billy she never said my yeah. name yeah. <laughs> And and you're sitting as a kid in the audience going, she saw me. <laughs> she never said my name. I was always upset. Oh. There was a lot of cherries, but she never said my name. Oh, that's sad. I know. I was very upset. Well, I see you now. I see Sherry. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, that was one of the... Uh, I always was waiting for me her to see me in the magic mirror, and she never did. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well. Well, it's just you know, that's the kid thing. You want some, but it, it's the magic of it. You want to be part of the magic, and I mean, there must be thousands of sherries because she could have said it once. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that was. That was always fun. So anyway, these people in the class doing that, and ones that remembered it would always laugh. So, so the new the new generation doesn't know it, but those that did, even the Brady Bunch, they don't know that one. Um, uh, but yeah, Hollywood Squares. There was another one. Everybody was in squares. So I love so that. So we show. feel a little bit like we've gone back in time as we are using these things to communicate with one another. Oh, I love the Hollywood Squares. Oh, that was so much fun. Especially when they had Paul Lynn. Oh, he was so funny. <laughs> center Square, he was always Center Square when he was. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he, that was a great comedian. Yeah. Paul Lynn, uh, he, he was a really funny comedian. He did a TV, he was in TV series Bewitched. He was in Bye Bye Birdie. Yep. He was in a lot of shows. Uh, <laughs> was but, he in Laughing? No, he, I think he popped up in laughing. Everybody popped up in laughing. Even Richard Nixon was in laughing. Um, <laughs> yeah, could you see that today? A really ruckus, irreverent show as the President of the United States turned up on it, and he was, and people were happy about it. <laughs> yeah, I think those times have passed. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the same as, to, you know, what's going on in the world now. <laughs> Not this minute, but before. Um, <laughs> did you ever see it? No. Laughing? Laughing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. 
Snapped and lots of other shows from that era. So mm-hmm. uh, Dukes of Hazard, I love watching. <laughs> I love watching the tires squeal on dirt roads. <laughs> it's like you're like, how are they making those tires squeal like that? So I didn't realize they were dubbing in the sound. Yes, that was added in. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Um, but uh, God. I actually like watching reruns of certain shows because they show. Uh, I grew up in an area in LA called San Fernando Valley, and they showed San Fernando Valley as it was when I grew up in it, like something like Remington Steel or um, the old Charlie's Angels. Whenever they were in, you knew exactly where they are. Um, even Murder She Wrote. Um, she was supposed to go all around the world, and I kept saying, nope, she's still at the Sheraton Universal. <laughs> you recognize that, you know, if you live here. <laughs> yep. yep. Advantages of California, being a native. Yeah. I always thought, uh, the funniest thing to me is if you watch something that had a car chase, and they went uh, in 10 minutes from one place to another that's impossible to go to, everybody that's from L.A. just starts laughing because it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> like, go from Malibu to San Fernando Valley like in about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, right! <laughs> that's movie magic. I know. Um, are freeways you that weren't done yet? Scene break. I'm sorry? Me? No, I was just saying, are freeways that weren't done yet, that's used in movies, that was just, you, you, they used it in, um, what was the name of it? It was the Chase movie. Not Smokey and the Bandit. It was a movie like Smokey and the Bandit, where they used, like, a freeway that was built, but it wasn't finished yet, and nobody, it was white crystal clean white the reason was crystal clean white is because no one had used it it was just built (laughs) Uh you would know that because you live there well I mean anybody would know that that freeway hadn't been used because it was white (laughs) have you ever been on a freeway which was clean no usually lots of tire tracks on them lots of rubber built into them and the sides are dirty from people uh, scraping against it and <laughs> crashes. Yeah. You don't see clean, all clean, pristine white. Just impossible for a road, especially a freeway. Yeah. Um, so I know that you've been um, busy with stuff, um, but have you done any... I mean, have you been um, locked down, or are you now not locked down anymore? I don't know where you are, so I... So I'm in Olympic Peninsula, out by Port Angeles, uh, Washington State, Olympic Mountains. Uh, look out the window, and the mountain range is all out there, so so we're kind of remote, but it's still been locked down, because that's been, it's a statewide uh, pandemic, and of course worldwide. Um, so it's given me lots of time to write and take care of my clients. I do freelance editing, so I've been super busy with that, taking care of clients. And um, 
did a did an audio book for Jeff Wheeler, who's a best-selling author in the January of this past year. So that was great. Got uh, some new privileges, making new podcasts for uh, a lot of different authors, and I'm podcast director at Future Science Fiction Digest. So so that uh, we actually became a Sefwa Pro magazine last year as well. So that was all cool. So, but yeah, the lockdown actually keeps a lot of distractions from happening because you don't have the music events to go to with your friends uh you can't have anybody over for dinner and they're not inviting you over for dinner and so uh it gives you lots of time to you know, take care of your your writing things without distraction so that's that's been a good thing so um, I actually helped a lot of writers get published last year, so that was nice too. It was my super secrets workshops and online resources. So that was especially fulfilling for me because I spent a lot of time helping them, and suddenly they started selling and winning writers of the future. And and uh, one of them uh, actually she has a best-selling novel, and that is Elizabeth Chatsworth, and she is number one in steampunk was the Brass Queen, and she is no, she hit number 39 overall sales on Kindle, so, so I was really happy to see her do so well with her novel. I love Elizabeth. So. Such a nice lady. Yeah, she is, and she has the greatest accent. Yes. Her British accent is so perfect. So. so, of course, she got to narrate her own book, so that was really awesome, too. We had a really good interview. She's a lovely lady. Yeah. Yeah, I met her at Superstars Writing Seminars, which uh, David Farland and Kevin J. Anderson and others put together. Uh, that's an excellent writing seminar. If anybody is thinking about learning how to advance in the professional area of writing, I highly recommend that conference. Because of the people you meet, the great people you work with, it's super for networking. And anyway, Elizabeth Chatsworth was there, so I got to say hi to her. And... Uh, she needed some help with the opening of her novel. David Farland sent her to me, and uh, so I helped her with the opening. Her editor said it, they wanted some work done on it, so so I, she was real happy with what I did for her, and, and her novel did really well, so we're all really happy <laughs> so, uh, to have a debut novel hit number one like that, uh, was, and to have her have bestseller status is just really cool. It is. Yes, and it couldn't happen to a nicer girl. No, for sure. <laughs> yeah, she's a sweetheart. Um, oh, and then I talked to her after I edited her opening chapter. I said, Elizabeth, are you entering Writers of the Future? And she said, no, I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it. So I talked to her about it. She said, well, think about it. I said, don't think about it. I said, if you win Writers of the Future, it will only help your novel. It will only help your career. Uh, I said, that contest has launched so many famous writers' careers. You should really think about it. She said, okay, I'll think about it. You know, and she's real, you know, kind of shy and demure. And so we were coming up on the quarter's deadline, and I talked to her again. I said, how's that story coming for Writers of the Future? She said, well, I, I didn't do it. And I said, well, Elizabeth, get a story in. I, you have everything it takes to win. But you got to write a story and send it in. Well, she listened to me, and she ended up winning. <laughs> so her first try, that 
hardly ever happens. There's maybe one or two other people I can think of that that happened to. So, so that made me feel really good because I stayed on her because I knew, I looked at what she was writing for her first novel. I was like, wow. So just by in, continuing to encourage somebody, sometimes that's all it takes for them to get over that hump, that, that fear that you have of rejection. Say, okay, I'll do it. And I could tell by her writing that she would win if she did it and she just had to do it and so just continuing to nudge her along and sometimes I don't nudge sometimes I say you've got to do this come on you're good enough you know, um, that can change things for people so that they actually go do it and find out that yes indeed they do have that within them so, so that was really exciting I was really happy about that that's cool well I like I said I'm really happy for her she's a really really talented young woman yeah for sure uh, that's um Okay, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, after I won Writers of the Future, I started, I, I became moderator of the Writers of the Future Forum. They, they asked me to do that for them. And I started uh, just online tips there for, uh, it's called the Super Secrets. And I did it because it had taken me many years. I spent 25 years trying to win that contest. I knew I could win it. And it was very frustrating to me. I've won, so, I've won over 40 writing contests. And why was I not able to win this contest? And I had to learn what they were looking for in order to win it. And that took me many years because there isn't a manual out there on here's what you need to do to win Writers of the Future. So after I won, I wrote the manual on how to do it. And uh, I do these, uh, these tips in my workshop that I did inside of the forum, explain to people, you know, here's how you do an opening, here's what they're looking for in the first five pages, here's how you write a full circle ending. So I made all these things, and they were Wolf Moon Super Secrets, and I'd post a fresh one, and, and then I did a workshop and challenged people uh, to write stories and exercises and send them out. And all of a sudden, the workshop members, after the first year, they started winning Writers of the Future. Um, so, and, and started getting professionally published. And... Uh, there's one of them, Brittany Rainston. Uh, she's going to be a published finalist in the next volume 37, I think it is. Um, and then, yeah, volume 37. She'll be at the at the workshop with three other people that were in my workshops. And um, now she just got published in Deep Magic Magazine. And she wouldn't have gotten published in Deep Magic Magazine because she wasn't sending her stories out. She was only entering Writers of the Future. And so... I made a whole challenge for the workshop. Everybody has to send a story out at least every quarter, not just to Writers of the Future, but out to other markets. We can't just put all of our eggs in one basket. And so she listened, and she sold now to Deep Magic. So she's starting. There's, there's several members of the workshop now that have actually got writing careers going. And it was all from these super secrets that I did. So, so that makes me really happy. Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. It's just it's nice to see that I can shave some years off of people's learning curve because I know what that's like when you don't have anybody guiding you and you're writing good stories, but there's something that you might need to fix in order to actually make it so it would hit that top top tier and actually be sold. So so that those were nice rewards that, that I got to see last year is helping a lot of different writers actually start their careers. Um, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, 
So what are you working on? What have you been working on on your, your writing? Anything new? Um, let's see. I had uh, I wrote a story called Music Man, and that story is about an android minstrel missionary who was sent to save a tone-deaf world, and this time he won't screw up. And that story got uh, published by Deep Magic and their beautiful magazine, deepmagicmagazine.com is, I think, what they're on, or how you can find them. Oh, it's .co. There we go. And um, that story went on to win Best Science Fiction and Fantasy Short Story of 2020. So that was nice. Uh, 2,500 people voted in the Critters Awards, and they also voted me Best Author, which was really nice. Um, and then my workshop, that won Best Writing Workshop of 2020. So, uh, And it also won Best Online Resource. So that's nice because, like I said, I spent a lot of time working on helping these writers with the super secrets that I do. And so my writing time suffered because I was editing their manuscripts, trying to help them get them to a professional state, and writing the secrets to help them figure out how they could repair any flaws in their writing. So that was all great. And because I wrote all of those, um, and it's had 700,000 views, by the way, um, but because I wrote all of those, I decided, well, I should probably see about getting these published. And so I talked to Mark Leslie Lefebvre of Stark Publishing Solutions. He's a, a guru with indie writers. Uh, he was with Kobo Writing Live, and he's with draft to digital and um, has a bunch of anthologies he does, plus he's a writer himself, so he's a Canadian writer, uh, very famous. And I, he does consulting, so I thought, well, I'll go ask him because I've never done indie before. And so I had an interview and set up an interview with Mark, and I started talking about my super secrets and all the people that have benefited by getting published after studying them, and they, they say it's because I studied the super secrets that I got professionally published for the first time. And all of a sudden he said, well, Moon, why don't I just publish you through my company, Start Publishing Solutions? And I said, oh. <laughs> I was just consulting with him to get ideas. And, and so now he's taking over the project. We'll be putting out two books this year in the fall um, on Wolf Moon's Super Secret series. And we're also going to be doing my writing workshops online, uh, again through his company, where people could either do live workshops with me or they can get the online versions uh, for a lesser price. So, so a whole lot of things suddenly came together um, just from helping other people try to get published. It just it kind of opened up other avenues of where this could go. Um, I was invited to FireCon. It was online this year, too. But that's when we did the online workshops. And they all sold out, uh, actually, overflow capacity. We did them through the summer and into the fall. And it just opened up a whole new venue of where this should go. So, So that was... I don't know, some cool things that happened in 2020. I know there's a lot of bad things, but there were some cool things that happened for me. And I like um, this quote from Joseph Campbell. I think people like it. He, he said, we must be willing to let go of the life that we planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. And that's kind of what you find with a lot of writers is that if you just follow where your career's taken you, you will go places. If you say, I only want to be this, you're restricting yourself. 
So I really encourage people, just whatever doors open, go through them. You know, say yes and go through them. And uh, really exciting things happen when you do that. Yep. That's how, actually, it's most of my life. I understand that completely. I mean, a lot of stuff that I've done, it's just, a lot of stuff is just kind of happens. You don't expect it. You've come a long way from thinking you were going to be an archaeologist, I can tell you that. Oh, I still get really sentimental about that. I still watch every show about archaeology. I still read every book and magazine. <laughs> well, it's fascinating. Uh, and I use it, too, in my writing, so. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you can add a level of authenticity to your writing because you have all those details, which I think are so important. You you can you can fake it, but if if you actually know it, it's going to feel a lot more real. And realism is kind of what entrances people when they go into a piece and they go, "Wow, I feel like this person's been there in Egypt," you know. So, so that's good. Yeah, I love. It's good to have diverse interests. I love archaeology. I wanted to actually be an Egyptologist, but I don't think that was going to even be possible even then. Um, <laughs> uh, it was it just because uh, that, that's what really interested me. I loved ancient. I still love ancient Egypt. I like a lot of different places, but that's I studied about Peru and the Incas and stuff like that because that was what my my teacher specialized in. But my dreams were of ancient Egypt and the pharaohs. <laughs> interesting. The Incas are interesting because they didn't invent the wheel. They didn't know what a wheel was. Nope. So here were other cultures that had the wheel, and they, they, didn't, they didn't have the wheel in their culture. So everything was hand-carried or carried on llamas. And uh, it, it, it's very interesting when you're writing... You have to make sure you know these kind of things because you can't have have Incas pull up with, you know, horses and a cart. They didn't have horses. They didn't Spanish have horses. There was no cart. <laughs> so all those details are are really important as you're writing historical fiction or historical fantasy. So and yet they uh, conquered almost the entirety of South America and went into uh, North America. So. Um. <laughs> Without horses and, and without the wheel, <laughs> where they tied, they tied knots in the cupe the or whatever that was, where they tied knots into strings, and they could. It was like their abacus. You know, it was just a textile company thinking up a a numeric system through knots and cords. It's just it's, it's just cool to think how how we develop when we're isolated from other cultures, where that culture would go. Or if they had dominated the world, what would the world be like? That's where a lot of historical uh, fiction, fantasy can really be fun. It's what if these guys had been running the world instead of the Spaniards crushing their, their culture. Yeah, it is sad. It is, it's also people don't really understand the history of the U.S., especially the western United States. Um, my favorite line about Mexico is go back where you came from and I'm like well they were here first (laughs) (laughs) for sure it's like how dumb can you be Um, this is their land (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that's uh, easily forgotten. But um, but yeah, I love I love the history. I love I love when see when I was a kid. I think like most people in the U.S., our history was pretty whitewashed, and so you didn't really know. But when you went to college and everything opened up. It was really much more interesting than when it was when you were in junior high and high school. Because now you're seeing the real stuff and the diversity and the bad stuff and the good stuff and oh, wow, that was that was one of that's really one of the things that led me to wanting to be an archaeologist. I want to know what made people tick. <laughs> yeah. On that thought of uh, First Nation, my grandmother was Chippewa. And the family adopted her, and they kept it secret that she was, because at that time you had no privileges if you were Native American. Um, it was very looked down on, and so the family kept it secret that she she was Native American. Uh, but she met her father once, and she had friends on the reservation, so she knew she she found out and knew that she was uh, Native American. So she, she kept up her friendships and her culture through being with her friends on the reservation. And then when she raised me for a while when my parents divorced, um, I got I got to sit with her and learn oral storytelling. She was just the most beautiful the stories that she could tell and weave about animals in the woods. Uh, we'd sit by the fire at night and just as a little kid to say, Grandma, tell me a story. And she'd just sit back and all of a sudden just weave it out of thin air. And they're just gorgeous stories. <laughs> and uh, talking rabbits and deer, and there are all these moral lessons within them. And and I know that's, that's where I get my storytelling from, is sitting there with my grandmother going, wow, she was making these worlds before the fire just out of thin air. And to me, that's magic. Just to, just to sit there and all of a sudden she's weaving this story and you're just totally as a little kid you're going wow uh, animals can talk wow uh, and just all these different lessons that she had in it and, uh, and and today when I do my voiceover acting I always think about her that, I, that I'm kind of fulfilling that heritage and uh, it's, it's really special to me when I do, do voiceover work uh, just because I feel like my grandma is living on through me, you know. Do you know how far back what your grandma did goes? I mean, it is such an important thing, is the storytelling. It goes all the way back to ancient man. I mean, yes. there's a line of how... I, I, I saw this uh, article, and it was in Archaeology Magazine, or it was History Magazine, I don't remember which one. But it was about the line of how how important storytelling is for humanity and all of humanity, and also the line and how it transgressed uh, transgressed how it progressed across the world the, the the art of storytelling and every culture had it whether they were in contact or not every culture yeah. did it. Yeah, that was the big thing with Joseph Campbell's studies, is that the archetypes were all there, and it's hardwired within us to share our visions 
and our morals through tales of heroes. It's it's just it's there. We 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 look for higher ideals, and it, and storytelling is a way that we can. I mean, we entertain through it, but the best stories actually do uplift, teach, help you to see. No, don't do that, or yeah, do that. That's a, that's a noble thing, you know. And and it really is how a lot of values throughout time have been taught in a culture to the children as they sat and listened to stories and, and, and back long ago the only way you got those stories is passed on from one generation to the next my grandma told me this and, and on it went so so yeah it's a beautiful thing uh, oral storytelling it's 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 a kind of a lost art except all of the podcasts I feel that we have now and the voiceover work going on are, are, are revitalizing all of that the old radio shows were doing that too which I always really liked but uh, but we're kind of reviving it now with, with our microphones that we all have and the stories that we're making so, so it's definitely not dead it's no no just spreading out in new areas it's also something people thirst for I mean Right now, when everybody's so isolated and stuff like that, even though it's, we're slowly starting to come out from under the isolation, but people thirst. It's not just the contact with each other which people thirst for, but also that's why people are reading more, thank God, and people are watching uh, TV and, and movies and it's we and mu- listening to music. All that is really important just so... It's part of our sanity. It's part of how we uh, deal with life, and that's. I'm hoping that, and uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hoping that the world gets a lesson that the art of the storyteller, no matter what way that is expressed, is as vital and important as anything else, economics or anything else. Don't you think? Oh yeah, it's 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 what gives us hope. So it's why it's why we go to fiction to to visualize a world that has I don't know something there are a lot of fiction like uh, I told you when we were talking before the podcast with um, Dreamforge Anvil their fiction is on positive fiction they're actually promoting fiction that uplifts people uplifts humanity talks about humanity solving their problems and it really is encouraging to read those stories because instead of just talking in apocalyptic tones it's got you know ways that mankind survives and ways that people help one another and I really like that it's uh, it's actually harder to write those stories because our world is so negative and our news is so negative and you know you always think of endings that are tragic but to think of endings that come out with positive results for mankind and for for the individuals in the stories and to uplift people morally through them, um, Dreamforge does a great job of that. And I'm really happy I've got a story coming up with them actually next month. Uh, Shaken Not Stirred is going to be there. Um, and that's why I like Deep Magic as well. Deep Magic Magazine, same thing. Their stories are are bright, uplifting, encouraging, uh, offer hope. Even if you got to have trials, you got to have tragedy in your stories, or they won't be interesting. That's what plots are all about. you got to have a problem. But when people solve them and do it in a way in the end where, where people are uplifted, 
that reaches that reaches us inside, and we go, oh, I identify with that. That's what I would like someone to do to me. That's what I'd like to do for somebody else. And we 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 get to feel those good things within us reading stories like that. And and I really like writing those kind of stories. Um, they, they give us hope, and we need hope. Agree. I agree. Um, so we're coming to the end. So do. You, um, do you have anything new that you're um, working on that we can talk about that is um, not published that is coming? Yeah, so like I mentioned at Dreamforge, uh, Dreamforge Anvil, uh, that magazine, uh, there's, they actually, this was a new thing for me to actually be hired to write a story for them usually you submit and hope they will accept it but they actually said you know it was a consigned story so that was cool that's a new thing for me a new new level I reached and then after uh, they chose that story the editor Scott Knowles said Moon would you like to write writing articles for us I know you do your super secrets and uh, would you like to do super secret articles for our magazine and I said sure and so he said here's our first so I have uh, my first one is called Nail Your Opening, How Driving to the Story Creates Accidents. So I uh, hope people will go take a look at Dreamforge Anvil, the subscription. They're going to have six issues this year, uh, and I'll have a lot of good writing tips from my super secrets expanded in those articles for Dreamforge Anvil magazine. And then uh, those super secrets, like I mentioned, uh, Mark Leslie is going to be publishing two of my books on them. And that'll be uh, this fall. We're going to do a Kickstarter before that, so that's going to be coming right up. And I hope people will take a look at that. And if you want to keep in touch on when those are coming out, uh, like I mentioned, um, they are good. I know they're good. Lots of people, one writers of the future, following them. Lots of others have their first pro sales. And a bunch of them actually have careers going now after studying the super secrets. I wrote them in a way to make shave years of time off people's learning curve by giving simple, easy explanations of what you need to do to create a story. So those super secrets will be two books coming out, and if you go to my website, uh, www.driftweave.com, D-R-F-T-W-E-A-V-E, driftweave.com, in 30 seconds a pop-up will come up, join my wolf pack every a club letter that comes out once a month. Uh, I always give away prizes, uh, edits from my freelance editing business. I've given out uh, in the last three months like $300 worth of edits to anybody who's in my mailing list. So um, gave out five of, uh, of the uh, Brass Queen books that are wonderful. Elizabeth Chatsworth uh, uh, just had out. So anyway... Um, there's uh, lots of good prizes there. Every time I do a newsletter, I always give away good prizes. So join the Wolf Pack at www.driftweave.com. And uh, let's see, I'm also on Facebook, Wolf, W-U-L-F, Moon.94. So that's another place I'm always posting there. So, so that's a way to keep in touch and uh, lots of good things coming up. Okay. Um, are you on Twitter or Instagram? I am on Twitter. I am, I 
don't have much wings there, <laughs> so I just I just started it up because I know a lot of editors post things there. I've been very resistant to having being on new social media platforms because they take so much time. But I did start doing Twitter, so I am W U L Wolf Moon One, I believe I am on Twitter. So so there's another spot. But. I do a lot of posting on Facebook. It's just real easy for me to put pictures of our cats, uh, seven cats. And uh, I like to cook, so I'm always doing pictures of cooking and things like that, different different things I make. So, And I'm a watercolor artist. Uh, had, we had our own gallery. I, I do uh, also lampwork beads, glass glass beads. So, so I post a lot of things from our creative world that, that we do. Great. Um, I want to thank you for being on the show. I, I hope you enjoyed it. It was my pleasure, and always great to be with you. I thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. Uh-huh.